we are in our, our, uh, our second week of Journey to the Empty Tomb, and it has been, uh, it's been good so far. Last week was, was Palm Sunday for us. We, we basically talked through the Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into uh, the city, and so we're walking through, over the course of these four weeks, we're walking through the, the whole idea of, of, of Passion Week, of, of Holy Week, and, and we're leading up to, obviously, uh, April 1st, Easter, uh, sort of a, a big day in the life of the church and, and Christians everywhere, and so, um, so there's so much that we can cover, there's so much to talk about within this week. I mean, it's, it's a lot, and, and, and it's really hard in just four Sundays uh, to, to, try to, to try to narrow in how we're going to do it and what we're going to talk about. Uh, I mean, last week was the triumphal entry, and so we talked about how Jesus, you know, he entered into Jerusalem um, on, on a cult, on, on a young donkey, and he came in, and, and the crowds were cheering, and it was an amazing procession, and he came in, and, and they were laying down their, their clothes. They were putting their cloaks on the ground, and, and, and they were, that was a sign of submission, and then they were, they were cutting off the, the palm branches, which is why it's called Palm Sunday, and they were laying down the palm branches on the ground. That was a, that was a sign of, of Jewish national pride because the palm tree was uh, the palm tree and palm branches was of national pride and so so they were laying all that stuff down they were they were they were crying hosanna savior you know it was such a beautiful moment as he was coming in all right so then Jesus comes in and and he reaches the temple in Jerusalem, he looked over things. Uh, we didn't cover this last week. He wasn't quite as happy with what he saw. Uh, but but you know what? He goes ahead and he leaves. He goes back to Bethany where he spends the night. Right. So so that's kind of that's where we were last week. That was Sunday. All right. That was Sunday, the first day of Holy Week, the first day of Passion Week. And then we see a lot of other things happen throughout the week. We've got the cursing of the fig tree on Monday, the cleansing of the temple on Monday. We've got the teaching in the temple on Tuesday, the challenge, uh, the, the religious leaders of the day are challenging his authority, all right? They're trying to, like, challenge his authority. That was on Tuesday as well. Uh, we have the Olivet Discourse, which is something that I considered uh, getting into, which is basically Jesus saying, hey, the time, the end times are near, and let's talk about that a little bit. And so he kind of gives this whole thing where he stops on the, on, on the Mount of Olives. And, he, and on his way back to Bethany with his disciples and with the crowds, and they talk about the end times. Hey, it's near, it's coming. And so I th we thought about, like, maybe we're going to work that in. Uh, and then, of course, uh, on Wednesday, there's no real record of what happens um, on that day. It's, it's assumed, it's considered, because it said that he was teaching in the temple daily, that he probably went and taught in the temple that day. But there's no real recordings of what he did on that day. And then we've got Thursday, which was the Last Supper. All right, we have the Last Supper. Everybody knows what that is in the upper room discourse, uh, where he kind of lays out his plans and lays out what's going down. And then we've got the Garden of Gethsemane, which is Thursday night into Friday. It kind of transitions into Friday, where then he's arrested, and we have the trials. And we're going to get to cover that a little bit on Good Friday. And then we've got uh, the crucifixion fiction and the burial and then praise Jesus the resurrection on Easter Sunday so there's a lot to cover over the course of this holy week and so coming trying to figure out what what is exactly what exactly do we need to talk about and and just consulting obviously the Holy Spirit and saying Holy Spirit what do you need us to hear out of all of this so we know we're going to hit the last supper the upper room discourse we know we're going to hit the garden of gethsemane we're going to do that next week so if you come back next week be prepared that's what we're going to talk about and then we've got good friday which we're planning a, a sort of a, a pop-up good friday event at a uh, at a local warehouse it's going to be a great time if you're interested in jumping in on that we'll let you know next week how that's going to go and and we're going to talk about the arrest and the trials and then obviously we're going to come back on easter sunday april the first and we're going to celebrate we're going to blow this theater up it's 
going to be an incredible time. So you want to be here for that. It's going to be amazing. So where, where in that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, what do we need to hit on? What do we need to talk about? Because a lot of interesting things happen. So many things we can cover. But there's one piece of this timeline specifically that I felt led to talk about. I want to focus on this morning. We talked about Palm Sunday, but the next morning, something very unusual happens. It's recorded for us in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Hopefully you brought your Bibles. We talked about that last week. If you've got your physical Bible, pull that out. We're going to read the word together. If not, it's going to be on the screen behind me, but I hope that you have the word with you because this is uh, somewhat of an exegetical uh, this is somewhat of an exegetical series. We're walking through the text, and so if you have it right in front of you, it's going to feel very, uh, it's going to feel great to just be able to follow along with me and read along with God's word. So in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11 the whole time. So you don't have to put your finger anywhere. Just open it up and leave it there, and you're good to go. It says this, on the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Such a profound verse. I don't know, either they hadn't had breakfast, you know, I don't know, did he, did they, I guess they didn't have breakfast in Bethany uh, before they left, maybe it had been a while since they had breakfast, I'm not sure what the situation was, but Jesus, who was hungry, saw a fig tree and went to it for food, and I, 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 when I said this a profound verse, I, I know that sounds, that sounds funny, but it is, because Jesus was hungry, and for me, I don't know, I don't know if it's for you, but for me, just knowing like, I'm hungry right now. I haven't eaten any breakfast this morning. I can relate to Jesus. He can relate to me. That's why it's, he was hungry. He felt the things that we feel. How incredible is that? He experienced hunger. Later, he's going to experience thirst when he's hanging on the wooden cross. He was hungry. A human emotion, a human feeling. This is our God. He put on the skin suit. He came to this earth so that he could feel the things that we feel, so that he can understand the way that we understand, so that he can say, I've been there. I've done it. I've seen it. I understand. I can relate to you and you and you. I can relate to you specifically. He was hungry. Mark eleven thirteen and seeing uh, in the distance, a fig tree uh, in leaf means it's, it's in bloom. There's, there's leaves everywhere. He went uh, to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Come, come on now. Jesus is almighty God. All right. He knew you before you were born. He, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He, he knows every, how many hairs are on your head. Right? He knows how many stars are in the sky. He knew there were no figs on this tree. You, you don't have to have like hawk's sight to, to know that there's no figs. It's just Jesus. He knows there's no figs on the tree. But, but, but he deliberately went to that fig tree. The tree was full of leaves. Jesus couldn't find a single fig to eat, a single fruit. Of course, it wasn't the season for figs, but Jesus still expected figs from this tree. It's an interesting thought. That's why I felt like we needed to focus on this this morning. Because the tree was full of leaves. It was fully in bloom, but there were no figs. Jesus expected fruit from the tree. It reminds me of a passage in 1 Timothy 4.2 where it talks about preaching the word to be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. God expects us to be ready to serve when the time comes. 
He expects us to be ready to love when the time comes. He expects us to be ready to teach, to share our story, to step up, to step out when the time comes. Even if we're not ready, even if we're not in season, we need to be ready because God expects us to do so. Just like he expected the fig tree to have fruit, even though it was impossible, it wasn't season. This is interesting because Jesus did something very unusual right here. Mark eleven fourteen, and he said to it, the tree, he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. I wonder what his disciples thought when Jesus said that. Did it catch, catch their attention? Did it take them like off guard? You know, like, whoa, like Jesus, easy, it's just a tree. Like, it's just a tree. It's, it, how, how would it, it's not even seasoned. Did it, did you think it shocked them? Uh, was it, was it like the situation? Uh, maybe you can relate to this. Uh, I, I, this is what popped in my head. The situation when you're a kid and, and, and you heard one of your parents lose their temper with somebody other than yourself. And you're like, whoa, they're in for it, right? Like, it's, you kind of step back and like, oh, man, this, you know, I, I'm used to getting it. I'm not used to hearing it, you know, that, that kind of thing. I wonder if it was like that. Like, they're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, it's a tree. <laughs> like, come on, bro. Um, I wonder if they, that, I, just, I just have to put myself in their, in their position. And, 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 and what were they thinking? Like, they're probably wondering, why would Jesus do that? It says, they heard it. That's very specific. It puts it in there. Not only did Jesus say it, but it was very specific that the disciples heard it. That's an important part of the story because they're going to come back and they're going to ask about it. They heard what he said. And they're, they're probably wondering, like, man, what's, you know, did Jesus wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? Like, is, what's, what's going on? Is he having a case of the Mondays? It's funny because it's Monday. Yeah. It's lost. All right. I'm getting into the dad joke thing. I'm working on it. Sim, Sim still got me beat. Sim, Sim lays out some dad jokes every week. I don't, he's, he's got some good ones. He's not in here, so he can't hear this, but thank you. Thank you. So they're, they're probably wondering, like, hey, what's going on with Jesus? Why did he just curse? He literally just cursed this tree. This tree can never bear fruit again because Jesus said it. What's, what's the deal? What's going on? What happened to Jesus today? The, the tree finds it impossible to give figs because it's not the time for figs. Doesn't he understand this? Doesn't he understand the laws of nature? It's just not time for figs, Jesus. So Jesus, uh, then they goes to Jerusalem. Uh, it was an eventful day. This, the, this part of the account isn't incredibly pertinent to the fig tree storyline, but I think it's still a very enlightening piece of scripture. So, so we talked about the fig tree. We're going to come back and talk about the fig tree. This little part in the middle is, is very interesting. What happens in Jerusalem that day? So let's just read this passage together, and I'm going to talk about it for just a moment. If that's okay. And they came to Jerusalem, verse 15. They came to Jerusalem and they entered into the temple and they began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes, they heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when the evening came, uh, they went out of the city. They went back to Bethany. 
This might remind you of an account in the Gospel of John early on in Jesus' ministry when something very similar happens. He flips over a table. He purges the temple. Right? It was early in his ministry. So Jesus began his ministry by purging the temple, as recorded in the Gospel of John. And he basically ends and wraps up his ministry by also purging the temple. That's important. It's clear that the house of the Lord is important to Jesus. That's so clear. The house of the Lord is so important to Jesus. He recalls Isaiah 56, 7, and he says that the house of the Lord should be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers, not a place where, 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 where worldly things happen. It's a place, it is a place, a house of prayer. This is why I believe we focus so much on prayer here at Legacy City. That's why it's so important, because Jesus Christ himself says, my house, the house of the Lord, the house of my Father will be a house of prayer. I don't know how you ignore that. I don't know how you get away from that. And Jesus' last week, one of his last acts was to restore the temple back to the house of prayer that God had intended it to be. Yes, he taught in the temple. He spent some time teaching. Yes, he, he did. He wor- worship is encouraged. But church, we need to be a house committed to prayer. That is what delights the Lord when his children gather and they pray together. You know, if we were to jump over to the account of Jesus purging the temple earlier in his ministry in John chapter 2, what I talked about just a moment ago, if we were to jump over there, there's a part of this verse, uh, there's part of this passage that speaks volumes to me when it talks about Jesus' love for his church. All right, so I'll just read. I don't think it's going to be on the screen behind me, but let me read this to you. John chapter 2, verses uh, 14 through 17. I'm going to give you the whole account, and I want you to hear the very last verse because it's so important. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, this is like superhero, crazy, awesome Jesus, making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out all the coins of the money changers. He overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, I love this, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. That's so great. Are you consumed with the zeal for the house of the Lord? Let me help you out. Zeal. It's not a word we use in everyday language, right? I don't know anybody that uses zeal. As I sit in a coffee shop, you know, pretty much all day. It's my de facto office. And I don't think I've ever heard the word zeal talked about as people are having their lattes and frappes and whatever else they drink. Zeal, it's a strong interest or devotion, an intense enthusiasm or fervor. Zeal is a strong energy and immense passion behind something, right? So zealots, zealots are passionate about, these are people that have a passion for something and they act on it. We call those people zealots. The house of the Lord in this context is God's church. It's Legacy City Church. It's New Spring, it's South Main Baptist and Main Street Methodist. That is the house of the Lord. So let me pose this again. Do you have a zeal for the house of the Lord? Do you have a zeal? Are you passionate about what God is doing in that place? Do you show up here on Sunday mornings expecting God to move mightily in your life and in the lives of those around you? If so, are you inviting others to come and be a part of what God is doing in the house of the Lord because you're so passionate, you are so zealous for that house? 
In my experience, when someone is zealous for something, they can't stop talking about it. They can't stop sharing about it. They can't stop taking pictures of it. Crossfitters are some zealous people. No offense if you're a CrossFitter. I'm just saying. You guys are zealous. You got zeal. Vegans have a lot of zeal. You, you guys talk about it, post about it. You're, you're happy with your amazing meals that you can put together without whatever vegans don't eat. Animal products, I think. Is that right? Animal products? That feels right. Clemson fans are zealous. There's a lot of orange. There's a lot of zeal. A lot of passion behind that, right? It's, you guys know what I'm talking about. Whenever you're passionate about something, whenever you have zeal for something, it's, it's something you talk about. It's something you rave about. It's something you get excited about. It's something that you tell others about. Are you zealous for the house of the Lord? Do you have zeal for the house of the Lord? Because Jesus did. Jesus had zeal. You know what's funny is it says in, it says in this passage that, that the, the zeal for the house of the Lord will consume me. It's all, there's, there's also, uh, you can also say that the, the zeal for the house of the Lord will satisfy me. So what's funny is Jesus was hungry, cursed the fig tree, went to Jerusalem, went to the house of the Lord. There's no other mention of his hunger. Now I'm stepping out and I'm speculating a little bit, but I think his zeal for the house of the Lord satisfied him that day. He didn't get his breakfast, but he got filled at the house of the Lord, right? So this whole, this whole incident, right, this whole incident uh, took place. And then the next morning, 24 hours after confronting the fig tree, after this whole thing went down, uh, they pass the same route, all right? They're still going back and forth from Bethany. They, they do this uh, every, every day for the first couple of days. You know, they, they stopped off in Bethany, and, and Jesus hung out with, uh, with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they, they got Lazarus, and they got the hangout uh, over the weekend, and then he comes in, triumphal entry, then they go back to Bethany, then they go back to Bethany, then they go back to Bethany, and then, and then, we're, then we're staying in Jerusalem for, for the remainder. But so they're traveling. 24 hours later, they're, they're confront, after confronting that fig tree, they pass by on the same route. Matthew, or Mark uh, chapter 11, verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Peter saw that fig tree. It was dried up from its roots. Now Jesus had declared that the tree will never give fruit again. But now it is dead. Jesus just destroyed a fruitless tree. See, this is why I find this story so fascinating. You know, this is the only destruction miracle that Jesus performed. This is the only miracle he performed that was destructive in nature. That is so fascinating to me. It makes me ask why. And that was on Peter's mind too. So I'm in good company. Peter's thinking, why? What is going on? He thought of the experience, the strange experience from the day before, and he brought it back to Jesus' attention. In 21, he says, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. You know, our kids do this thing uh, where they, you know, whenever they want something, they don't directly ask for it, but they kind of, they kind of just say a statement, and, and you kind of have to know what they, so, so they, they indirectly ask for something. They're kind of like, you know, Ainsley will say, you know, I really like chips while I'm eating my chips. I really like those. 
So she's not asking for it indirectly, right? She's indirectly, yeah, I tried that drink before and I liked it. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, Aunt Naomi likes that one. And, uh, and then we also, we also get this. Do you, remember, do you remember the one time that we went to the movies and we got popcorn and drinks and candy? Man, that was so much fun. <laughs> you know, then the little look. That was fun. You know, what's your, what's your response to that? Peter is indirectly asking Jesus why he cursed the fig tree. That's what he wants to know. Why did you do this? Peter is diplomatically calling Jesus' attention to it as if Jesus did not know already, you know, as if he wasn't God and he didn't, knew, he didn't know what, what had happened. And, and Jesus knew he could see it, but he's also God and he knows everything. So he gives them an answer. So let's read this whole answer and then we're going we're gonna to kind of, uh, I, got, I do have a few points and then we'll, we'll break it down uh, here toward the end. So it says this in verse 22, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. I don't know why this always <laughs> stands out to me. Jesus, the fig tree is withered. What's up? Have faith in God. Okay, that's out of left field. That doesn't really answer my question. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. There we go, the power of prayer. We talked about that earlier. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever uh, you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. All right. I don't know about you, but for me, this is kind of a head scratcher, right? This is a great passage. Don't get me wrong. But it's as if, it's, it's as if Jesus is addressing a completely different question than the one that was actually posed to him. There is no mention of the fig tree at all in Jesus' answer. He doesn't touch it. He doesn't even go near it. There was no mention of any foliage whatsoever. No trees, no plants, no nothing. He talks about a mountain. That's about it. So, so for me, that's kind of a head scratcher. But Jesus, right, was teaching his disciples here. He's only got a few more days with these guys. He knows that. He knows the end is coming. He only has a few more days, and he wants to teach them something here in the very end. He wants a valuable lesson to come out of this in true Old Testament prophetic form. So, so let's talk about the message that I think that Jesus wants to convey here in these last few moments. Number one, uh, God has the right to expect everything from me. I think that's a message that he's clearly communicating. God has the right to expect everything, everything from me. All right, this is talking about our physical blessings like, like life and health and job and family and money and talents and time, et cetera. Remember, God is over all. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. All right, he is the, he is the creator God. All right, he is the source of all of our blessings and God can expect it back at any time. God has the right to expect everything that, that he has given you Kind of like in the life of Job. He expected everything back. Remember, God expects figs from the tree at a time in which it cannot bear fruit. So God has the right to expect from us even which is too difficult to give. 
So what does that look like? That, what, is, what is too difficult to give? I mean, I get the fig tree. It wasn't in season. It couldn't make fruit, but God expected the fruit to come. So what does that look like for me? How can I ma- wrap my mind around uh, giving up what is too difficult to give? Abraham's story from the Old Testament, I think, might help you. Abraham w- had prayed for the promised son, right? He had been praying for this promised son. And finally, God blessed Abraham with Isaac. And one day, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. I want you to take him, and I want you to go with him to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there. This is a tough choice for Abraham. God was asking something that was too difficult to give. You know, one day while Jesus was going along in the Sea of Galilee, he turned to Simon and Andrew and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God was asking them to leave their livelihood, to, to, to drop their business, their profession. And you know what they did? They, they dropped their nets and they followed him. In Mark 10, when the rich young man came to Jesus and said, Jesus told him, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. He asked us to do things that are too difficult for us to do. So what is God asking out of you this morning? Are you willing to give back what God has given you? For, for some, it might be your family. For some, it's your job. For some, it's your friends. Remember, God comes first. I came to tell you this morning that God is expecting sacrificial Christian living from each one of us. God is calling some to start using your gifts in the presence of God. God is reminding many to use your resources, your time, your money, your energy for the glory of God, for the house of God. Are you willing to give your best to God? God has the right to expect everything from us. But here we go. Number two, it's impossible For us to give God what he wants. It's impossible for us to give God what he wants. Wow. Way to build it up and then knock it down, right? Be ready to give all, but we can't actually do it. The fig tree could not give Jesus what he wanted that morning. Man can never meet up with the spiritual standards that God expects from his church. God expects us to be in fellowship with him and it is impossible by our own effort. We are sinners born into this world bearing a sin nature. So here's the fig tree. The fig tree could not give figs. So what's the result? The fig tree dries up. Speaks of death and judgment. You know, the Bible says that that it is appointed unto man once to die and be judged. Man is in trouble like this tree, but church, I am glad that that is not the end of the story. There is a savior, there is a way through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We, we don't have to end up like the fig tree, withered and dead. Our physical bodies will die, all right, sure, that's going to happen, but we will have a new body worshiping God for eternity. How beautiful is that? You know, a moment ago, I mentioned the rich young ruler, right, who, who came to Jesus and marked Chapter 10, maybe you're familiar with that story. So this rich young ruler, he was zealous for the Lord. He wanted to go to heaven. He loved God. He kept all of the Old Testament laws. He did everything he was supposed to do. And Jesus even complimented him on that. But then he was not willing to give up his riches. So he went away defeated. See, you cannot meet God's requirements yourself. The disciples, you know, they said, that the disciples said, if, if this good man who pleases God cannot be saved, then who can be saved? Do you remember Jesus? Does anybody remember Jesus' reply? He says this. Yes, 
With, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Come on, somebody. That's good news. That is good news. Church, you cannot please God by your own virtues, your own kind actions, your, all, your own good works. You can't please the Lord, but all things are possible with God. God can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So Peter asked Jesus about the mystery of the fig tree. Although it seems odd, Jesus' answer was direct and to the point. It was, it was direct and to the point. Have faith in God. What does that mean? How does that relate to the tree? By trusting God, you can reach up to God's standards. By having faith in God, you can reach up to God's standards. Number three, produce fruit in and out of season. It's the other lesson here. Produce fruit in and out of season. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Many of you could probably recite them and say them, and you probably have a song to go with it, right? You know these fruits of the Spirit. These show that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. When we produce the fruits of the Spirit, automatically our lives become fruitful. But how many times do we get discouraged, afraid, lose our peace, and become unfruitful? When the enemy makes us angry, sad, depressed, frustrated, impatient, rude. No, our peace is not circumstantial, church. Our peace is everlasting, and we need to be producing the fruit at all times. At all times. I love this in Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree, a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. How can I produce fruit? I want to look at Jesus' answer again to see that. Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus answered him, have faith in God. That's the first step. Have faith in God. No matter what happens, your faith in God should keep you going. Your faith in God should sustain you. It is God who is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Have faith in God. Mark eleven twenty three through 24. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. That's key. Does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whoever asks in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So the second step, how do I produce fruit? How do I produce fruit? Out of season. Have faith in God. Pray without ceasing. And then he finishes it up, 1125. And whenever you stand praying, also forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you, of your trespasses, have a forgiving spirit. How do you produce that fruit? Have faith in God, pray without ceasing, have a forgiving spirit. Church, this is one of the last lessons that Jesus is teaching. It is important. And it all came out of a fig tree. It all came out of just this, this small withered tree. Jesus wanted breakfast. Breakfast wasn't available. Jesus cursed the tree. And the disciples asked a question that led to this. Have faith in God. Produce fruit. The fig tree, it dried up from its root. And, 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 and unforgiveness leads to bitter roots that, that, that leads to fruitlessness and destruction. Have a forgiving spirit. 
What is God speaking to you through the fruitless fig tree this morning? How is God speaking to you? Let there be life. <laughs> Just like that. We timed that. It was perfect. What is God, what is God speaking to you through this tree? Through this, through this seemingly, this is a small, we could have went through the Olivet Discourse, we could have talked about eschatology and the end times, we could have walked through some of the some of the different parables and the different things that Jesus taught on in his last days, but I felt like this was important. How is this passage speaking to you? Are you producing fruit, keeping with repentance? Are you doing what God's asking you to do? Are you zealous for the house of the Lord? Are you zealous for God? Are you passionate about our Savior? Church, let's have faith in God. Let's be fruitful in our Christian lives. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing some more. We've got some more songs. We're going to continue celebrating our glorious Savior. And uh, if at any point you, you want to take communion, it's still there. I'll kind of be in that area if you want to talk, if you want to pray. But let me pray over us right now. God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. That while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we were enemies, he still came and laid down his life on our behalf. Took our sin, took our shame, took everything on his shoulders. And then he defeated death on our behalf. Because of him, we can have life, eternal life. Thank you so much. Thank you for the recordings we have in Scripture of this last week, of the lessons we can learn from Jesus throughout his ministry, throughout his life, and throughout this holy week leading up to the greatest moment in all of human history, the death, burial, and then resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that we have this. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. God, we praise you. We worship you in this house. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.